Well, good morning, church, and happy Easter. This is certainly not the way we thought we'd be celebrating Easter. Uh, you probably didn't think you'd be home, uh, maybe in your pajamas, <laughs> watching a sermon. I certainly didn't think that I would be preaching in a in a studio uh, by myself to a to a screen. But um, but here's here here we are, and. Um, this morning, I want us to look at God's Word and really be encouraged by the Easter message in a, in, a, in a unique way. Because as different as this Easter is, um, we're still turning our attention to this amazing historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're doing what Christians have done down through the ages. We are focusing our hope on Christ's resurrection not only that Christ died and rose again for our sins, but also that through Christ, God is going to make all things right. So uh, as we're kind of experiencing the fallenness of the world in a unique way in 2020, uh, I really hope that this message brings you some encouragement and some hope from the resurrection and, uh, and allows you to continue to just trust in God, trust that his, he is sovereign he is loving, he is good, and that he loves you, and that he is for you in Christ. So I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. So there in your home, if you could pull up on your phone or turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse, verses 50 through 58. And the title of my message is Victory Over Sin and Death, Ancient Prophecy and an Empty Tomb. Victory Over Sin and Death, Ancient Prophecy and an Empty Tomb. So as you're turning there, let me begin our passage and then I will pray for us and we will get into the message. So follow along with me as I start reading in verse 50. Paul writes, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound... And the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this Easter morning in 2020. 
God, we are not living under the circumstances we would have chosen, but we trust in your control. We trust in your will. We trust in your plan for our lives, God. And God, because there is a cross and an empty tomb, we know that you love us. We know that you're for us. And this morning, we want to rest our hope on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you'd give me the grace to preach and that you'd give grace to those who are hearing this message, that they would receive it in faith and not only believe it, God, but that it would transform the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our main passage this morning is a message of victory. I don't know about you, but like every morning I, I, I look at the Wall Street Journal and I look at NPR and I just kind of hold my breath hoping for some good news. And I would love to open up the news and see a headline that says, like, cure for COVID-19 discovered. Wouldn't that be great? That would be a message of victory. Victory is something we love. It's, it's a word we love to hear. It's it's something we love to celebrate. That word victory really sort of indicates a major accomplishment over an existential threat. I mean, you you save that word victory for times when there's a real existential threat and you've been delivered from that threat. As I was writing this and thinking about victory, I thought about V-Day, Victory Day, when the Allied armies defeated the Nazi forces and 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 the Japanese Empire in so Victory Day in Europe and Victory Day in Japan, you know, in World War II, V Day meant an end to war, an end to the threat, an end to the death. Victory is deliverance from an existential threat. Victory is good news. It means some danger, some danger to your existence has been vanished. And so victory is a is an important word. And our passage this morning brings news of victory, not victory against an army that brings death, not victory against a disease that brings death, but victory against death itself. I mean, this is the greatest news of victory in the history of the world. There is nothing better in the past and there will never be anything better in the future. This news of victory over death itself is the greatest possible news. Notice it says in verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death itself has died. Death itself is buried. Death itself is no longer the end. Death itself has been defeated. In the history of victories... There is no greater victory than the victory reported to us in this passage from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth in 51, 52, or 53 AD, writing from Ephesus. And that same great news of victory applies to us, a church in America in 2020, sheltering in place from COVID-19. Jesus Christ has won victory over death. So this is great news. And our passage makes the point that sin and death go together. Notice in verse 56, it says the sting of death is sin. 
and the power of sin is the law. So Paul's reminding us that death came into the world as the result of sin. And we're told about this back in Genesis chapter 3. You know the story, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And that event is called the fall. And that means that humans spiritually died, were, were separated from God, spiritually and physically from the presence of God, out of the Garden of Eden, couldn't come back into the presence of God. This is a theme throughout the Bible that we're separated from God. Sin brings death, and it also brings physical death. And physical death is a constant reminder that we, like Adam and Eve, are sinners. And just so we're not tempted to think we're not sinners, the law points out our sin. Paul says, I would not have known sin, but by the law. So if we ever doubt that we're sinners, you know, we just read the Ten Commandments and we know we've not honored our mother and our father. We know we've looked at what our neighbor has and wanted what they have. We know that there's been idols, things that we, we look to more than we look to God. The, the, the law exposes our sin and it's our sin that brings death. And for these reasons, we need a savior. That's the bad news. Sin brings death. But the good news is that God brings victory through his son, Jesus Christ. So the first thing we need to see in this passage, we cannot miss it, is the best possible news of victory. Victory over death itself. Now, the second thing I want you to see is that this is a victory that was accomplished by one man. You know, you think about a cure to COVID-19. It's going to be like a team of scientists working together to find a vaccine, to find a cure. And we pray for that and we pray for them. But it's probably going to take a team. When you think about World War II, it wasn't the victory of a single general or a single leader. It was, it was millions of people working together against dictators to bring about a victory. Most of the time, victories are sort of the collective efforts of lots of people. But the greatest victory in the history of the world, the victory over death itself, was a victory that was accomplished by one man. The man, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 57. It says in verse 57, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the victory over death is a gift to us when we believe in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection. Through that act of obedience, Jesus Christ takes our sin, goes into the grave, comes out of the grave, and we receive his victory, but he won the victory. Our salvation isn't like, part Jesus, part us. It's not Jesus with a little help from us. It's not faith, you know, plus works. Salvation is totally God's work, totally the sacrifice of Christ, and we receive it as a gift. God gives it to us when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So God's victory over sin and death was accomplished by one Man, The greatest victory in the history of victories was a solo mission. Verse 57 says it was accomplished by our Lord Jesus Christ. 
when he went on the cross and when he bore God's divine punishment for our sins in his body. And then he went into the tomb and then he came out on the third day, resurrected, never to die again. Paul tells us about this fact of the resurrection starting at the very beginning of chapter 15. If you just flip over in your Bible to the beginning of chapter 15, notice what it says. It says, Now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. And this is amazing news. The gospel is the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you are a Christian, you believe in this apostolic message, which Paul says is of first importance. And that just doesn't mean that that's like the first thing they preached, which is also true if you read Acts. You know, they were quick to preach the death and resurrection of Jesus. But it also refers to like the resurrection as the most important thing. You know, there, there's, 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 there's nothing more important than the fact that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to earth, bore our sin, died on a cross, and rose Again, look, Christians might disagree on a lot of different things, but we agree about that. And if you don't believe in that, then you are, then it's wrong to call yourself a Christian because this is what Christians believe. This is why when Christians are saved, when we identify with Christ, we do so through the public declaration of baptism, through the symbolism of going into the water and coming out of the water. We're identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're publicly committing ourselves to following him. Why? Because one man defeated death. One man defeated sin. Jesus Christ, by himself, on the cross, according to the will of the Father, died and by the power of the Spirit came out of the grave. And at some point in your life, you heard that message and by the power of the same Spirit that brought Jesus from the dead, you were cut to the heart, you believed it, and at that moment you passed from death to life, and God's Spirit came to dwell in you. God is victorious over sin and death at the cross, and Jesus did it all by himself. Well, the third thing I want us to see is that this is an ancient prophecy fulfilled. An ancient prophecy. One of the things 
that points to the reliability of Scripture is the fulfillment of prophecies. There are literally hundreds of fulfilled prophecies. And, and there's a prophecy that's in light here about the resurrection of Jesus that I really want you to understand, and I hope it brings you tremendous hope this morning on Easter in 2020. Jesus, of course, in John chapter 2, three years before he died, at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus prophesied that he would die and that on the third day he would come back to life. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it. And he was talking about the temple of his body. And so Jesus, three years before he died, prophesied that he would die and rise again. But 700 years... 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah wrote about the fact that death would be swallowed up in victory. In Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus was born that the Messiah would die and come back to life. So those are two prophecies that the Bible gives us that Jesus would die and rise again. But that's not the ancient prophecy I'm referring to. You see, the most ancient prophecy about the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes back all the way, goes back all the way to the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 3, of course in Genesis 1 and 2, we're told about creation and then in Genesis chapter 3, we're told about the fall. And as a result of the fall, the serpent was cursed in verses 14 and 15. And then humans are cursed in verse 16. And the ground is cursed in verses 17 through 19. And you know about this curse. We sing about this curse at Christmas time. Oddly enough, we sing about this curse when we sing the hymn, Joy to the World. Because there's that one line that says, he has come to make his blessing known far as the curse is found. And that reference to the curse goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, when as a result of our sin, God curses the world. And really all of the world is the result of the curse. Disease, natural evil, moral evil, all of it ultimately is the result of the curse of sin. Sin brings curse. And the greatest curse for us is death. And we know that uh, behind the fall of Satan, Satan is the father of lies. Satan is the one that tempted Eve. Satan is the one that wanted to separate humans from God. And yet the curse in Genesis 3, in the midst of all of this curse, there is a there is a promise. There is a blessing. And if, if you consider for a moment Genesis 3.15, Jesus is talking to the serpent. And of course the serpent represents Satan. The serpent is Satan tempting Adam and Eve, trying to separate them from God. God says to the serpent, he says to Satan in Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head 
and you shall bruise his heel. And so God is in the, in the midst of cursing the serpent, making a promise that there would be enmity between Satan and the offspring, the seed of the woman, which is interesting because normally we don't talk about the seed of the woman. We talk about the seed of the man. We talk about the offspring through male lineage. But here we're told that the seed of a woman, the singular seed of a woman, one person would come from a woman who would be bruised by Satan, who would be wounded by Satan, but who would inflict a wound to the head of the serpent. And so God is giving us in the midst of sin and death and curse a glimmer of hope in an ancient prophecy that someone would come from a woman who would deliver a crushing blow to the head of Satan and by doing so defeat sin and death. And here in Genesis, in the garden, at the scene of the crime where sin originated, God promises to send someone who will defeat sin and death. And so you see what happened at the cross and the grave is a victory. It's a victory that God delivers. It's a victory that God delivers through one man and it's a victory that God delivers through one man by fulfilling an ancient prophecy that goes back to the dawn of time. Jesus prophesied his own resurrection three years before he rose from the grave. That's amazing. That alone should make you believe him. Isaiah prophesied it 700 years before Jesus was born. That's amazing. That should give you all the confidence in the world to rest your hope on the resurrection. But as if that were not enough, God reminds us that back in Genesis, there is an ancient prophecy from the dawn of time, which Moses records for us in the book of Genesis, that God promised to bring someone from a woman, Jesus, that virgin-born Messiah, who suffers the wounds of the crucifixion, but by rising from the dead, delivers a crushing blow to sin and to death, defeating once for all our great enemy, Satan himself. So this is an amazing passage. It's an amazing story of victory. And this morning, you might, you might be feeling defeated, but I hope... This message buoys your soul and gives you confidence that in Christ we have all the victory we need, a greater victory than has ever been known, victory over death itself. So it's a message of victory accomplished by one man that fulfills an ancient prophecy. But maybe you're sitting at home thinking, you know, how does this affect my life? I mean, I get it. The grave is empty. And this is good news. But, 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 but how do I apply this to my life right now? And the good news is, look, I, don't, I can't ever remember a time in my life where our society as a whole has been more preoccupied with the statistical probability of death than right now. I mean, it's just a fact. We're all watching the graphs. 
We're all reading the reports. We are all riveted on the news and we're all thinking about our own mortality. This is a great opportunity for evangelism because usually in evangelism, you have to get someone to think about their mortality. And right now in our society, everybody's thinking about their mortality. Well, this is a life-changing victory. That's the last thing that I want us to see. The victory of Christ at the cross and in the empty grave is a life-changing victory. And it's a victory we can experience. And it's a victory that impacts our lives. And it's a victory we should be, we should be urgently concerned to tell others about. So notice, first of all, it changes our life because we will not stay dead. Notice in verses 50 through 53, it talks about this fact. In verse 53, it says, Our bodies will put on immortality. Our bodies, our mortal bodies, the bodies get sick, the bodies that are just constantly breaking down and giving us hardship, we will exchange our immortal bodies for our mortal bodies for immortal bodies. We're not going to live in eternity like disembodied ghosts, you know, like Casper the Friendly Ghost. We are going to receive new immortal bodies that will never die, will never get sick. In eternity, there will be a 0.0 chance of getting sick or dying from anything. Because death, the, the victory of Christ over death will be fully realized when we inherit immortal bodies. Notice what it says in verse 52. It says that the process by where we receive bodies fit for eternity will be instantaneous in the twinkling of an eye. And I know that there are different views on end times, but listen, here's the most important thing that you need to know, that this isn't like a process. It's not like in in Hindu religion where your journey to immortality is this long process. Look, the Christianity teaches that because of the victory of Jesus Christ, if we believe in Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for our sin, if we trust him as our savior, then on the day when he returns, we will receive an immortal body instantaneously in the blink of an eye, in the glimmer of an eye. And that word for twinkling of an eye, I mean, just think about how fast the eye moves. As fast as a glance, as fast as light sort of just reflects in an eye. As fast, as fast as, as, as a blink, just that quick, you will be changed from a mortal body that constantly suffers to a body fit for eternity, an immortal, an immortal body fit for a new heaven and a new earth. So listen, we will die. We will die one day from something. But the good news of the victory of the resurrection is that we will not stay dead. Our bodies will rise and at the return of Christ, they will be fit for eternity with new resurrected bodies so that we can join Jesus in a new heaven and a new earth. And brothers and sisters, listen, whatever is going wrong in your life right now, whatever's got you down, meditate on that truth. Jesus is victorious over death. He has gone into eternity and he's going to take you with him. He will come back for us. I mean, that's a life-changing, life-changing belief. We will not stay dead. Number two, 
We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear death. We do fear death, but we don't have to. Our passage tells us amazingly that the sting of death Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your death? Where is your sting? Verse 56. The sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. Going back to the fall, it's sin that brought death into the world. But if it's true that Jesus took our sin on himself, if it's true that he bore our sin, if it's true that he absorbed all of God's wrath for our sin, and if it's true that he went into the grave, if he really died... And if it's true that on the third day he came out of the grave, then we will die, but death has no hold on us. The sting of death is sin, and Christ has been victorious over sin and death. This doesn't mean we look forward to death, but we don't have to fear it. This means that we can have courage and confidence knowing that God is in control of the day of our birth, God is in control of the day of our death. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the worst thing physically that can happen to you is you die. And on that day, if you have looked to Christ and trusted in him, you will go immediately into the presence of your Savior, Jesus Christ, who has gone before you. And he will welcome you in that moment. And he will have for you eventually a resurrected body fit for eternity. We will not stay dead. We do not have to fear death. Number three, we should be steadfast. Notice it says that. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my brothers, because of the resurrection, because of this amazing truth that Jesus Christ single-handedly defeated sin and death in fulfillment of the ancient prophecy, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. That literally means be seated, be settled, So here's my admonition to you, brothers and sisters. I encourage you, settle your hope on Christ. Not on politicians, not on the economy, not on what might happen, not on who you trust, not on who you read, not on some human minister. Settle your hope fully and finally on Jesus Christ as the one who brings us victory through his death and resurrection. So we should be steadfast. And then he says, immovable. So you you settle your hope on Christ, and then being immovable means you don't move away from that hope. You settle your hope on Christ, and you stay there. I can't think of anything more immovable than like a foundation. And it should be true that our life should be settled immovably on the rock of Christ and on his victory. And so often in our life, we sort of settle our hope on Christ and then we get distracted. And Paul's saying, don't be distracted. Settle your hope on the victory of Christ. Settle your hope on his resurrection. Build your life upon that foundation and then don't move. Don't move. Don't move on to something else. Don't be tempted to think something's better. Don't be tempted to think something's greater. Fix your affection on Christ. Be settled and don't move. And see, when we do that, something amazing happens. Look what it says in verse 58. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord 
your labor is not in vain. So the victory of Christ is something that should result in stability and a sense of being settled in our souls, like anchored in our souls in what Christ has done for us. And as a result of that hope, that settled, confident, unmoving hope, Paul says we become productive. We become productive for Christ. We bear good fruit because Satan has been defeated, because sin has been vanquished, because Jesus is victorious, because the foundation of the gospel is one in which we can build our lives. We can abound in good works. And listen, brothers and sisters, you know, we're all stuck in home. We're all stuck at home. We're, you know, we're, we're in confined spaces. There's a lot of conflict and we're having to really remember just to serve graciously and forgive quickly. And, you know, all of these basic interrelational gospel issues are more important now than ever. But notice it says your labor, that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. You know, when you wash the dish, somebody else made dirty and you just do it as an act of love and nobody sees it and no one says thank you. Your labor is not in vain. You know, when you give to something, a charity, the church, when you give to something that's going to help people and and nobody sees that, God sees it and your labor is not in vain. Like in all the ways that you remain faithful and fruitful for Christ and you do these good works in the shadows and, and nobody from a human perspective sees them. The amazing reminder is that in our victorious King, Jesus, our Lord, your labor is not in vain. Caring for the children is not in vain. Serving your spouse is not in vain. Checking in on your neighbor is not in vain. Praying, just being on your knees, praying for our scientists, our doctors, our nurses, praying for those who you know are struggling. Your labor, brothers and sisters, is not in vain because Christ is victorious. Look, because Christ is victorious, all of our life has meaning. All of our work is productive. Everything we do unto the Lord has eternal value. And so this is a life-changing victory. The victory of Christ over sin and death because there is an empty tomb is a life-changing victory. We will not stay dead. We don't have to fear death. We can be steadfast, immovable, abounding in good works. Brothers and sisters, this is a strange Easter. A lot of times we get dressed up on Easter, not this year. Probably none of us, I'm pretty sure none of us, are going to be able to go to our favorite brunch place and enjoy meals with our extended family. Maybe we're alone. This is an odd Easter. But what makes Easter Easter is the empty grave. And the empty grave signifies the victory of one man, Jesus Christ, over sin and death. And where you sit right now, through faith in Christ, you participate in that victory in life-changing ways.
Brothers and sisters, let's be steadfast, immovable, abounding in good works because Jesus Christ is victorious over sin and death. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have delivered victory to us. We could have never achieved victory on our own. We didn't have what was required. We couldn't be a sacrifice. We couldn't atone for our own sins. We could not be good enough. We weren't inclined to seek you. You had to draw us and open our eyes and give us the gift of faith. And God, we thank you for your spirit that has accomplished all of those things in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that this morning that you would overwhelm us with a sense of appreciation for the victory of Christ over sin and death. I pray that we would be quick to remind each other of this victory. I pray that we would be quick to serve each other because of this victory. Lord, I pray that we would never move on in our walk with you away from the resurrection, but as Paul says, that it would always remain of first importance, of highest priority, that we would think about it and meditate upon it. Father, we live in a world when so many things are wrong and so many things are not as they should be. But in the midst of the bad news, we never want to forget the good news that Christ is victorious over sin and death. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.